Can you believe how quickly summer has flown by? I can't uh, remember a summer that has gone by as quickly as this one for me, but but maybe it's because of some of the events uh, in in my life. Uh, On May 2nd, uh, this bundle of joy showed up. I love that expression on his face. I don't know if that expression is, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Or, wow, my mom is so beautiful. It's one of those two or a combination. Um, I wish I had time to tell you the story about when I took NyQuil 10 minutes before my wife's water broke. Um, that, that made the evening more interesting than it needed to be, except for that part that I slept through. So we, we spent a lot of time this summer enjoying watching Luke grow up. I can't believe he's already four months old. Isn't it amazing how much pride a parent takes in every coo and every smile that a baby makes? Or how much Anna and I rejoiced when Luke slept all the way to 4.30 in the morning? (laughs) I went to a lot of baseball games this summer as well, and and I can proudly tell you that, that Connor was the best hitter and pitcher on his baseball team. In fact, I could humbly tell you that he was probably the best pitcher and hitter in the whole league. (laughs) And I can also probably tell you that uh, Connor caught the biggest walleye in our family this year. It was 29 inches long, which is uh, about 9 pounds. That's a good fish. And I also found out this week that that Connor won uh, first place at the state fair in an art contest. So he is a multi-talented kid. As I, as I talk about my sons, you probably notice a lot of uh, love and pride on my face. And it makes me wonder, what does God's face look like when he looks down on us? What do you think? What's your first reaction to that question? When God looks down and sees you, what's the expression on his face? Is he pleased? Is he proud? Is he angry? Is he disappointed? What do you think? I think it is natural for us to feel like God's feelings towards us are dependent upon our behavior. When I help the little old lady across the street, God is smiling. When I gossip about my neighbor, God is shaking his head. And when I show up on church on Sunday... I score points with God. And when you come on a holiday weekend, you get bonus points. (laughs) It's natural for us to feel that way, but is that the way it really works? Is that an accurate view of how God sees us? If I were to give you a theological quiz on grace, you guys would do pretty well. I bet you know that we are saved by grace through putting our faith in the work that Jesus did in the cross. I bet you knew that even before we did it in the call to worship. We know that intellectually, but sometimes we struggle to move that idea from our head to our heart. We know that grace saves us, but do we know and apply the truth that the gospel of grace transforms our daily life? The gospel of grace is not just the means of our salvation, But it is also what transforms us to allow us to flourish in life. 
The sermon today is uh, the last part of a series that we've been calling Reflections. Some of the staff here at CPC have been sharing what God has been teaching us. And I have been on a lifelong journey of seeking to understand grace and apply it to my life. I call myself a recovering perfectionist because I continually struggle to accept God's grace and revert to feeling that I have to earn his acceptance. A few years ago, I met this person who seemed to understand applying God's grace to our daily life more than anyone else that I ever met. The more, <clears throat> the more that she talked about grace and Jesus, the more in love I fell with, I fell with her. So I married her. Smartest thing I, I've ever did. So this sermon is some reflections on what my wife and others have taught me about grace. The beginning point for understanding grace is, is accepting that we have a sin problem. I know some of you are chuckling, thinking the first thing my wife taught me is that I have a sin problem. <laughs> but the truth is, I knew that I was the chief of all sinners long before I met her. But for a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, they, they struggle with the idea that they actually have a sin problem. George Barna did a survey that showed 66% of all evangelical Christians think people are basically good. Well, that's why the hymn goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good person like me. <laughs> that's not how it goes, is it? Paul paints a different picture in Romans chapter 3. He says... There is no one who does good. No one. In verse 20, he goes on to say, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. But rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. No one can become right before God by their own effort. It just isn't possible. We have fuzzy theology. We say that we are saved by grace But in our heart, we live as if our works are the basis of our acceptance before God. Maybe we can say that uh, Christians fall into two ways of thinking. Number one, I'm basically good. I just need a little bit of grace to cover the gap. Or two, that I'm so awful, there's not enough grace in the world to save me. That might be a little bit oversimplified, but I find that I can fall into both those ways of thinking all in the same day. I listened to a sermon this summer that was titled, Cheer Up, You Are Much Worse Than You Think. (laughs) It's a catchy title, isn't it? You probably want to run out and buy the book or something. But the truth is, that's true about all of us. We are much worse sinners than we know. I think it is so easy for us to ignore the sin in our life. I was cleaning the house uh, one day, and I said to my wife, Anna, you know, I didn't realize how dirty the house was. It wasn't until I started cleaning it that I noticed all the dirt accumulating there. And she wisely said, it's like sin in our life. We don't notice it until we stop and look for it. In a Bible study I did this last year called the Gospel Center Life, I came across this chart that was really helpful for me. It shows us that 
at the starting point of the Christian life, it comes when I first become aware of the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness. When I am converted, I trust and hope in Jesus, who has done what I could never do. He has bridged the gap between my sinfulness and God's holiness. He has taken God's holy wrath toward my sin upon himself. But at the point of conversion, I have a very limited view of God's holiness in my sin. But the more I grow in my Christian life, the more I grow in my awareness of God's holiness and my sinfulness. As I read the Bible, experience the Holy Spirit's conviction, or hang out with fellow believers, the extent of God's greatness and the extent of my sin become increasingly clear and vivid. It is not that God is actually becoming more holy or that I'm actually becoming more sinful, but I'm just much more aware. As I mature my relationship with God, my perspective changes. I am increasingly seeing God as he actually is and myself as I actually am. And something else happens. As my understanding of my sin and God's holiness grows, my appreciation and love for Jesus grow. The more I'm aware of the reality of the immense gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness, the more I'm aware of just how amazing grace really is. You see, when we underestimate our sin and think that we are more righteous than we really are, we, in a sense, we shrink the cross. Paul says in Galatians that if we think we're already good apart from Christ... In reality, we are alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. But as we fathom the immeasurable gap between God's holiness and my vast sinfulness, we realize realize there's no way that I could begin to close that gap. We realize our only hope is for God to bridge that gap between our sin and his holiness. And that's what God did, right? Paul tells us in Romans 3, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law, has been made known, which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We gain right standing before God just by accepting this gift through faith. Accepting that what Jesus did on the cross is totally sufficient to close that gap. We can't add anything to it. Martin Luther calls this passive righteousness. It is called passive righteousness because we don't labor for it. It is not a righteousness we work for, but a righteousness that is given to us by faith. Luther says we receive this grace the same way the ground receives rain. We just open our arms for it. It's a free gift, but we have to ask for it. I learned another thing here. Notice in our passage that Paul says we are given the righteousness of Christ. I've always just taken this to mean that our sins are forgiven, which is true. In my mind, though, I've seen how my sin creates this huge debt to God and that the blood of Christ washes away my sin In my mind, that leaves my so-called bank account at zero. I don't know about you, 
But when my bank account is at zero, I tend to be a little bit nervous. And so as a recovering perfectionist, that drove me to, to try harder and harder to earn righteousness so that I don't slip back into debt. But that isn't living by grace, is it? Someone say no. Thank you. I just want to make sure you're still with me. I'm not very good at math, but Martin Luther helped clarify this for me. You see, when we accept the work of Christ on the cross by faith, not only are our sins forgiven, but the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. The righteousness of Christ is credited as being our very own. I'm not sure I can put a numerical value on the righteousness of Christ, but I am sure it is more than what the U.S. owes China. (laughs) Our account is not at zero. Our account is overflowing. Talk about a sense of security before God. When God sees us, he sees Jesus who stands in our place. Our acceptance before God has nothing to do with our performance, but everything to do with the righteousness of Christ. So we can cling fully to the promise that God is pleased with us because God is pleased with Jesus. And that's amazing grace, isn't it? One of my, one of my favorite verses is Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I think this paints a great picture of, God, of how God sees those of us who have put their faith in Christ. God's face is glowing with delight as he looks down upon you. So much so that he breaks out into song. God does not see us merely as a pardoned criminal, but as his own son or daughter. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, we know this grace can save us. But what difference does it make in our daily life? I think that's where Christians like me struggle. The truth is, is that it makes all the difference as we learn to apply grace to our daily life. My cop-out answer is to say that living by grace changes everything. We could just end there and close in prayer. My wife and I were uh, brainstorming all the ways that applying grace to our daily life changes it. And we had so many ideas that we realized it would take us nine weeks to tell them all to you. So we decided to offer a nine-week small group called the Gospel-Centered Life. And this is going to start in October. We're going to offer one group on Sunday mornings and another on Tuesday nights. There's more information about that in CPC Life. So you for sure will want to sign up for that. But I can't really leave you hanging until then, can I? So here are a few quick highlights for you. Grace, first of all, grace frees me to become the person God created me to be. If I embrace that I am fully accepted by God, then I do not have to be driven by my self-imposed perfectionism 
or driven by my worry about what others think about me. I was really struck by this quote from Martin Luther. He says, At the root of all visible sins lies the invisible struggle for righteousness and identity. Interesting, isn't it? Think about how much misguided energy that we spend trying to be cool, trying to fit in, trying to feel good about ourselves, or just trying to fill that empty place inside of us. Our identity is secure in Christ. We are completely loved and embraced by God the Father. God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. Which leads us to the second thing. Grace is the power behind transforming our life. Up to this point, some of you may be thinking, this grace thing is great. I can sin all I want, and it doesn't matter. Sorry to burst your bubble. Sin is still bad for you. I think we live in the illusion sometimes that sin is fun stuff that God is keeping from us. But reality is is that sin brings death and destruction everywhere it goes. Unfortunately, we don't always see the consequences of our sin immediately. And we think maybe we've gotten away with it. But sin brings death and hardness to our heart. Sin destroys our relationships. Sin is bad for us. But grace has the power to release us from the bondage of that sin and give us hope for a better way. By grace, we can be honest with ourselves about our weaknesses and our shortcomings, and we can ask for help. We don't have to pretend or be in denial anymore. And another thing is is that, that grace changes my motivation for obedience. We are no longer motivated to follow the rules out of duty or trying to appease God. We are motivated, well, for one, because it's good for us. But even more, obedience just flows out of our relationship with Jesus. Obedience becomes the fruit of our love for Christ. There's no abundant life in rule-keeping. But when we live out of love, our life flourishes. I think of the example of uh, if a husband buys his wife flowers for, for her anniversary, and he gives them to her and says, Honey, I got these for you because that is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> do, you think, do you think his wife feels loved in that moment? But when the husband's heart just loves his wife, he gives no thought to duty, But out of the joy of the thankfulness he has for his wife, he goes out and buys the flower. In the same way, as we experience the fullness of God's grace and love, as we embrace the gift of grace that God offers to us. Finally, I would say I'm seeing how grace has the power to transform relationships. As the good news of grace becomes more real to me, I am more able to rest in God's grace, 
which then increasingly frees me from my old ways of relating, like comparing myself to others or trying to be in control or driven by my need to succeed. As a perfectionist, my, t- my tendency was not only to expect perfection from myself, but from other people as well. But grace is slowly but surely changing my perspective, showing me that we are all equal before the cross. Sinners who are struggling and desperately in need of a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. As we learn to treasure and embrace the grace that God has given to us, that grace bears fruit in our lives that overflows out of us in the form of love and grace towards others. Well, I could say a lot more about grace today, but it suffice to say that this gift of grace is an amazing thing. I just ask you to open your hearts up to God and accept it. And I say that that learning to apply grace to our daily life is a lifelong journey. Let me offer you two suggestions as we close of how to make that more of a reality. First of all, when you wake up in the morning, I want you to picture God's face smiling down on you and hear his voice singing out, I love you. Remember, you are God's beloved child. And secondly, preach the gospel of grace to yourself every day. Remember daily your need for the cross, acknowledging that I am a sinner in need of grace. And then embrace this grace and experience the fullness of the abundant life that God has for you. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this amazing grace that has saved a wretch like me. Your love for us is so immense we can't even comprehend it. But I just pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you in a new way, to embrace your grace and apply it to our life so that it changes everything. We love you, Jesus. In thy name, amen.